lesson this morning comes from the Gospel according to John, chapter 15, beginning with verse 9. Let us listen to God's Word. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer. The servant does not know what the master is doing. I have called you friends. I've made known to you everything I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I'm giving you these commands so that you may Love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Anne Lamott in her book, Help, Thanks, Wow, has this passage about a day spent with two friends. Recently, I was going to meet my great and amazing friends, Barbara and Susie, for a walk or rather a stroll and a roll, as Barbara has Lou Gehrig's disease, which has come to mean that she uses a walker, feeding tubes, and a computerized speaking device that works through her iPad. So Susie drove us to the Pacific Ocean to a point above San Francisco that has a spectacular view but when we got there it was completely socked in and We were stuck. We gamely got out of the car anyway, on top of everything with the Lou Gehrig's disease and the fog and and my own sorrow about my friend's illness. It was all just too much. And so I prayed. I prayed help. I got my divine revelation. We got back in the car immediately. This took a while as immediately is relative when somebody has Lou Gehrig's. But at some point the sun did come out and we drove through a neighborhood with beautiful gardens and our day was transformed. We got happy. We talked about things for an hour, life, death, families, feeding tubes, faith. And I asked Barbara, What are you most grateful for now, these days? She typed into her iPad, and the voice, the mechanical voice, spoke for her. For the beauty of nature, the birds and the flowers, and the beauty of friends. The beauty of friends. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends. You're my friends. I've told you everything I know. And this is what I know. Friends lay down their lives for one another. Love one another as I have loved you. 
working on this passage, I got to thinking about some of the friends of Jesus I've known over the years. I was in college, and I had come home from Germany. During my junior year abroad, I gave my life to Christ. I was a new, young, excited, ignorant Christian and volunteered to help with the youth group at my church. And Judy was the director of Christian Ed and the one who watched over the youth group and the youth advisors. And after the meetings on Sunday evening, she and I would sit and talk at great length, and she would listen to my questions and my doubts and all the things that I was anxious about as I was finishing college and heading out to seminary. Judy taught me how to keep a prayer journal, which I still do to this day. She was a friend of Jesus, and she gave her time to me. I think of Stuart in my very first congregation in Washington, D.C. Stuart was a police officer on the beat in northwest D.C. He was exactly my age. He'd grown up in North Carolina. And Stuart used to come over in the evenings and play ping pong with me at, at our house in my basement. And We'd go downstairs, and he'd reach down, and he'd pull a gun out of an ankle holster, and he'd set it on the shelf, and I always thought that was supposed to intimidate me before we started playing ping pong. Like, if you win, you know, I'll I'll shoot you. Stuart was a tough guy with this really soft spot for the poor, the forgotten, the abused, those in great distress. We elected him a deacon at our church, and he led the deacons into a ministry to battered women because he met them at work. And he guided the deacons into helping set up some apartments through a social service agency. This was way back before a battered women's shelter was on anybody's wavelength. I talked about the Bible. I was the pastor. Stewart did something about the Bible. I hope this passage this morning sets you to thinking about some of the people you've known along the way who were friends of Jesus and by giving you their friendship and their attention helped your relationship of faith, hope, and love grow. People of joy, people of commitment, the friends of Jesus Now, there is this phrase in the middle of the paragraph in which Jesus says, this is one of the things about these people. They lay down their lives for one another. Not usually in that great Hollywood dramatic way. We're not talking about diving in front of a bullet or dashing in front of a runaway train. They give their lives to each other a piece at a time. One of the the facts about our lives is that we all have exactly the same number of hours in a day. Yes, some people may have more financial resources than others. Some people may have more education than other people. But nobody has more than 24 hours in a day. And so when you give a piece of your day to someone else, You're giving one of the most important things we have to share. A friend of Jesus is one who looks for an opportunity to give that time, who listens and listens and listens some more 
to the person who needs it, who enjoys, who finds joy in being with these folk, who feels great loss when there is separation. Friends of Jesus share their lives with one another And sometimes they do it for people they know well, and sometimes they do it for people they don't know very well at all. I've seen friends in this congregation get up early in the morning, losing some sleep in order to show up at a coffee shop to read scripture, to pray, but primarily to share lives with each other in a small group, to be there for each other. And to have that sense of connection. I've seen people in this congregation go to the home of Penny George who had dementia for nine years. Billy George has been a member of this church since he was a child. And folk would go over and sit with Penny long after she no longer remembered quite who they were. And they would talk with her and they would sing from the hymn book for music is one of the things that lingers the longest. And so as friends of Jesus, they would give a piece of their day to sit with her. Last week, this room was full of cots and children and Caritas families. And folk from our congregation came down and fixed supper and played Uno with the children and took them out to the playground and held babies that were not our babies but shared a piece of time as friends of Jesus. I no longer call you servants. Servants don't know what the master's doing. I call you friends. Being friends of Jesus is one of the primary ways we give this faith away. For faith is not primarily explaining something about God or explaining something about the Bible. Christian faith is primarily a sense of being connected, connected to the family of Christian faith, and then connected to God through that family. That's the way most people grow in this experience of Christ. We've been doing officer training the last few weeks, and one of the books we use is called The Five Practices of fruitful living, and the last chapter is about giving the faith away, about sharing this faith with others, and there is this story. Mark and Diana never imagined becoming part of a congregation. Mark grew up in a family of inactive church members. Occasionally, they went to a Christmas service, and Diana had no church background at all. So they move to town and they need a place to live and they find an apartment and the manager of the apartment complex is named Tom. Tom was amiable and helpful. He seemed genuinely interested in their well-being. He seemed interested in them. He, they came to know him better as he would visit with them from time to time and to check on them. Tom asked them if they were part of a church, just asked, and they said no, they weren't, and he let that slide, and he mentioned that he and his wife, Debbie, really enjoyed belonging to their congregation, and then he let it go at that. 
Over time, Tom checked in on them to make sure they were doing okay, and, and Tom invited Mark to go fishing with him, and they began to share stories and just do some hanging out. And then at a certain point, he invited Mark and Diana to come to the church softball league. And Mark got on the team, and they began to know other couples in the church who were also a part of the softball league. And then a tragedy happened in which a child died, a child who was, whose parents were in that group. And, of course, the entire group rallied around them and gave all kinds of extra time to that family in grief and drove people back and forth to the airport and fixed meals and sat with them. And Mark and Diana watched this going on and were a part of it a little bit. And then Diana writes, That was the moment it clicked for me. I wanted to be a part of a community like that, where people cared for each other. We needed that in our lives. The primary way anybody learns about the family of Christian faith is that the friends of Jesus offer some time and attention to them, and along the way mention the way in which our own lives are enriched by the Christian fellowship, not in a way that is mechanical or phony or, oh, I've got I've to find some way to mention the church today when I'm with these people, but telling the truth about our lives and about what is meaningful and valuable. Jesus says, you are my friends. I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you, so that your joy may be complete. Love one another as I've loved you. For that is where the joy is. Thanks be to God.